Letters from a Glass House is a not-for-profit ministry of the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Venice, Florida. Support us today at UUCOV.org. Now, I'm sure that for most of you, most, the study of statistics doesn't make you go, wow, this is why I come to church. (laughs) So I'm going to be very, very broad here. If you take a statistic, say the human lifespan, and you put all the lifespans on a graph, you're going to be able to work out that the average American lifespan is somewhere between 72 and 80 years. Talking about natural death here, not accidents. So 72 to 80. The further we get from this average, younger or older, the fewer people die naturally at that age. Makes sense. So 80 is wonderful. 100 is impressive. 102 is awesome. Hundred and ten is rare. Hundred and fifteen is weird. <laughs> but the number I want you to think about is one hundred and twenty-two years, one hundred and sixty-four days. That time span is from February of eighteen seventy-five to August of nineteen ninety-seven. So hang on to that thought for a second. Jean Comment was born in February of 1875. What else was going on that year? Well, in 1875, Wan Zhu became the 11th Kang Dynasty Emperor of China. In 1875, the Tonto Apache were forced at gunpoint by the U.S. Cavalry under Brigadier General George Cook onto the San Carlos Apache Reservation. In 1875, Emperor Johannes IV of Ethiopia defeated an Egyptian army led by Werner Munsinger. The American Indian Wars began. Boss Tweed fled to Cuba. In 1875, earmuffs were two years old. (laughs) Newfangled invention. Electric lights were not invented. The telephone existed, but it wasn't available for private homes yet. The Civil War was only 10 years over. The first gas engine was 10 years in the future. The horse and buggy was king, and the steam engine was the brat prince. Jean Calmette died in August of 1997 the longest-lived human ever recorded, and they're still arguing about it. They're pretty sure she really was that long-lived. They've got some pretty decent records. One woman who spanned the years from emperors and horses to computers, space programs, vaccinations, GMOs, and the Internet. It was an amazing life, but it's the only one that ever lasted that long. So we have a baseline 
you get somewhere between zero and 123 years right now. No matter what we do, no matter how good or bad our medical care, no matter how perfect our genes or how much money we have, or what God or goddess we believe in or don't believe in, we come into the world with our return ticket pre-punched. Writer and poet Charles Ferdinand Ramuz says, it is because everything must end that everything is so beautiful. And at first, that seems really counterintuitive. The first time I read that, I thought, have you lost it? We don't want the good to end. We don't want to lose our parents or our partners. We don't want our children or our friends to suffer the pain of losing us. We don't want to lose us. We don't want to die. But it is that very limitation, that fragility of human life that makes human life so, so precious. Psychiatrist and author, and I, I know most of you have probably heard of her, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. She said, it's not the end of the physical body that should worry us. Rather, our concern must be to live while we're alive. To release our inner self from the spiritual death that comes from living behind a facade designed to conform to external definitions of who and what we are. Ooh, that's a biggie. Shawnee Chief Tecumseh, who was from my neck of the woods in Kentucky, a lot of his sayings were written down. He spoke to people. He spoke well. He said, when your time comes to die, be not like those whose hearts are filled with the fear of death, so that when their time comes, they weep and pray for a little more time to live their lives over again in a different way. Sing your song and die like a hero going home. You know, life is a circle. We're born, and for the first 25 years or so, we spend our time learning how our machinery works. We're sponges, absolute sponges for sensory input. Everything a baby sees, everything a kid sees is new and amazing, right? Until we're taught to be afraid, we shout out our experience to the world. Sometimes our parents would like to remove us from it. We ask the neighbor why she looks funny like that. We tell everyone, I've got on new underwear. We tell everyone that mommy burped in the store. We color the sky purple and gold. We try mixing jelly with hot dogs. We're excited by all the possibilities. Now this is given, we're not talking about a child who's being abused or someone who's isolate. But in general, when you're four, everything is cool. We're brave because we don't understand limitations or failure. We know we're immortal and so is everybody else. We don't worry about the how, we focus on the what. For the first quarter of our lives, we're easily prophets and artists and dreamers of dreams. 
We live in a world based on the reality we can comprehend experientially with a growing understanding of limitation. Walter Brueggemann wrote a book called The Prophetic Imagination. He said, the prophet engages in futuring fantasy. The prophet doesn't ask if the vision can be implemented, for questions of implementation are of no concern until the vision can be imagined. The imagination must come before implementation. Our culture is competent to implement almost anything and to imagine almost nothing. The same royal consciousness that makes it possible to implement anything and everything is the one that shrinks imagination because imagination is dangerous. Every totalitarian regime is afraid of the artist. It's the vocation of the prophet to keep alive the ministry of imagination, to keep conjuring and proposing futures alternative to the single one that the king wants to urge as the only thinkable one. I love that piece. At the beginning of our lives, we are those artists. We can create wild realms in our mind. We don't care if it's doable. We're just making it up as we go. We hold all those visions of alternate futures. We see differently. Society hasn't weighed us down yet. Bruggeman says, hope, on the other hand, is an absurdity too embarrassing to speak about, for it flies in the face of all those claims we've been told are facts. Hope is the refusal to accept the reading of reality which is the majority opinion. And one only does that at great potential and existential risk. Hope is subversive, for it limits the grandiose pretension of the present, daring to announce that the present to which we've all made commitments is now called into question. As we get into that second third of our lives, we've learned to live in our physical bodies. And the five-year-old who confidently announced he was going to grow up to be an elephant now wants to be a research analyst. We feel ourselves start to age, and our first realization of the tenuousness of life starts to take hold. The challenge of those middle years is to grow into our own prophetic dreams and hold on to our hope. We realize that over and over, time is moving on, and yes, we can still move toward the world we want to live in. And it all comes back to fragility and hope and wonder, 123 years or less. The choices are yours. What are you doing with it? What is your absurd hope, your grandiose pretension? your political and existential risk. You've learned some things. You've learned that you can't drink coffee after 8 p.m. You know not to roll in poison oak. You know that too much Halloween candy will make you sick. You exercise at least a bit. Those are just the mechanics, though. Your middle years, you look forward and backward at the same time. What did you dream and hope the world could be? What are you doing to make it happen? What are you doing with it? 
How wonderful that there are people to live and love with. How wonderful, how amazing that in a limited lifetime, someone has chosen to spend a year or five years or two minutes or 40 years with you, you, as a friend or a partner or both, How amazing that in a contained existence, you, you have worked for one hour, one minute, one week, ten years, any time at all helping to make the world a better place. How amazing of you. In the final third of our lives, the circle comes around and we have to discover all over again what our bodies can and cannot do. We gain and lose weight. We gain and lose our glasses. We gain new diagnoses and sometimes new neuroses. It's like when we were toddlers and all of a sudden we're all elbows and knees. Now we're all hips and aches. The whole world changes day by day, just like it did when you were 12. And you realize, hopefully, that regardless of any potential afterlife, our immortality rests not in keeping our machinery moving, but in what we choose to do. Our eternity comes in how we live and we love and we change the world. I wouldn't dare to give you advice. But if I did dare, I might say this. You know to take care of your body. You don't come with replacement parts. Go get your COVID vaccines. Take care of yourself. Ask for help when you need it. Know that you are beautiful just the way you are. Just like you look back at all those pictures of yourself and think, wow, I didn't look as bad as I thought I did. (laughs) Right now, we're all looking at you and thinking, man, they look amazing. If the people around you wouldn't like you if they knew you, find new people. You're not a mistake. We like you very much. Take the time to really experience everything that you choose to do. And if every day you're doing things you don't want to experience, it's not too late to make a change. It's never too late. Wonder about everything you see. Get in trouble. Hope for the future. Remember that a lot of things are pure luck, so don't kick yourself or gloat too much. Laugh when you can. Cry when you need to. Try it all. And when it comes time to lay it down, let it be with sadness that you couldn't have one more day, but also with some joy. A tired kid coming home to bed at the end of a very long day. Be able to say honestly, Wasn't it all marvelous? Amen.